Hey, as we, uh, as we open up God's Word together, I want to let you know, I uh, encourage you, that we are on the uh, Uversion Bible app. All the, the sermon notes are on there. And so uh, if you've got that on your phone, open it up, go to the Events tab, and you should be able to find this. Or take a minute, get in the App Store, and, uh, and do that. Um, while you are uh, getting that out, uh, I did make a joke earlier. Your other option, if you're not a phone person, is to identify with my former vocation as Steve from Blues Blues and get out your handy notebook. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, you know, whether you're, you're pen and paper or your phone, whatever, get your Bible out and find the book of Romans, Romans chapter one. And uh, we are spending the year in Romans. Last week, uh, we opened up the letter uh, from Paul to the Romans and we made it all the way through one verse. It was uh, awesome. And uh, today we're going to come back to that, but also uh, stretch it out to the first 12 verses. Uh, while you find that, I do want to let you know there's some stuff in the app, uh, some announcements on your bulletin like that, but one that uh, is not on those things that's really important. Uh, you heard uh, Lauren, uh, we mentioned that she had been to Honduras, had an incredible trip, uh, gave her life to Christ on that trip. Uh, our informational meeting for the, the trip this summer in June uh, first meeting is this Wednesday, January 16th, and it's going to be at our Midland uh, location, which is uh, down 60 uh, that way. I should probably know the address to that, but I don't off the top of my head. Uh, so, what is it? 1900. 1900. There we go. Glad somebody knows. That's, that's why we're a church, a community. We need each other. Uh, so, uh, you can uh, learn more about that uh, if you want to grab me or Dave Sullivan, if you know Dave. But we'd love to have you come out and figure out what that looks like. We're going to read these first 12 verses. Paul is opening his letter, right? And he has a pattern uh, in his letters of addressing his recipients and reminding them of why Jesus is good news in their lives. And he's going to do the same here in Romans. So, read with me. And then uh, we're going to pray for our time with the word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David, according to the flesh, and was appointed to the powerful Son of God, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you, who were also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his Son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Let's pray. God, we pray that your word, which is true, which is without error, which is inspired, we pray that it would come into our hearts and our minds and transform us today. I pray that during this time we would hear from you, God, about your son Jesus and about the change that he has created for us and through us and in us. We pray in his name. Amen. I was driving down the road the other day. 
question came from the back. Dad, I've got a question for you. Great. You never know where this is going to go. And Preston says, when are we going to start having a community group at our house again? Yeah. <laughs> and Simon says, yeah. And so, my thought process is going crazy, right? Like, and I realize, I catch myself in the moment, realizing that I'm trying to come up with excuses for my four-year-old as to why we're not having community group at our house. I'm so concerned with my four-year-old thinking that I'm doing the right thing that I'm coming up with excuses for why we're not having community group at our house anymore, right? Relationships, they're really hard. Relationships are really, really hard. They're so hard that I am willing, in my flesh, to lie to my four-year-old about why I wouldn't host people in our home to have a group that prayed together, loved on one another, studied the Bible together. And uh, needless to say, it was really convicting. It reminded me of another conversation that I had just this week. Uh, this conversation was a little different. It was online. Uh, Carl Babb is one of the founding members, founding pastor elders of our church, and he had sent me this article, and we were having a, a back-and-forth conversation about online ministry, how to do ministry uh, online. And he made this point that was really uh, just, it, it kind of blew my mind, right? And, and he said this about online ministry. He was like, man, it's, it's got to be something that, that gets us to a point of connecting with people and not just attracting them to a church. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that. And he said, well, here's the thing. People in our world are so relationally challenged. It's like, oh, that's a great phrase. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by relationally challenged? And so I can keep going down this, this thing. And I realized, like, he is really right. We are so relationally challenged. We, we struggle to know how to relate to one another to the point that sometimes we'll lie to our four-year-old about why we don't want to have a community group in our house. I share that just because I'm, I want you to know that this is hard for all of us. Right? This, isn't, this isn't any of those things. The reality is, right, is that, that tension that Carl pointed out between something being attractional and something being about a true connection with another person the reality is that when we live in that tension in our lives, us humans in our humanity and our fallen nature, we will always move towards attraction instead of true connection. We will always choose the thing that we're attracted to first before we'll choose the thing that really has and involves genuine connection. We live in a really relationally challenged culture. Now, Blake, what does this have anything to do with what we just read in Romans 1, 1 through 12? Here's what's, some, here's, here's what's really interesting to me about this passage, and I don't know why I'm copying this week, but when you start reading through this passage, there's a lot of times that Paul says, you, right? Well, we need a southern translation of the Bible, because all of those yous in Romans 1, 1 through 12 are y'alls. They are y'alls. Now, if you want some fun uh, educational reading, go to Wikipedia and search y'all and the history of y'all. It's really, it's really interesting. Okay, it's really interesting. And, and there's even this little map that shows where people in the world use y'all the most. And there's this really dark spot in Mississippi 
So, you know, it just kind of phases out from there. But it's amazing, right? All of these yous in this first uh, chunk of Romans are you alls. And that's really important because it's so easy sometimes to even read Scripture. And we read when Paul says, I hope to come to you. I, you know, you are called in Christ Jesus. And it's like we're in this beautiful little tunnel with Christ. It's just, it's just me and him. But he's saying, you all. Right? The church, our relationship with Christ is something that is community-driven and communal by nature. And so we here in the South, we say y'all, but it's getting harder and harder to live out true y'all. It really is. How do we think about this? What, what does this look like? What are, what are the barriers to that? So this is uh, an awesome quilt that my awesome mother-in-law made for me. Brown points, right? All right, good. Always, she says. All right, so... Here's what's uh, awesome about this. I can look at this, and there are a lot of really uh, great memories that come to this. There are some that are not so great. Uh, like, a little VBS one down there in the left corner, God's Big Backyard. I'm pretty sure we were just one t-shirt short, because that was a terrible week. But, but for the most part, these are a lot of really good memories. And uh, what happened over time was uh, those shirts started to fray, right? They started to lose their color. We had to figure out something else to do with them. And so they got put into this, this quilt. And, and in the end, right, that was the, the easy thing to do. It's easier to quit wearing those shirts and remember them how I want to remember them than it is to keep wearing those shirts until they're falling off of my body, right? It's easier to just sit things on the shelf or maybe wrap up in that blanket on my couch by myself and remember the good times about a relationship, to remember those things, than it is to continue in those relationships because when we continue in relationships, a lot of hard things happen. It's easier to put our relationships on a shelf or hold them at bay than to be open, authentic, transparent, keep pressing into them. It's easier to make our faith about you than it is to continue to make our faith about y'all. Because we live in such a relational challenge culture. So what are the seeds of this? What, how do we get here? What, why are we so relationally challenged? See, Satan introduced brokenness into all of our family trees through this idea called sin. Right? And what we don't like to admit, what we don't like to come to terms with is that that sin, like, it has generational impact. It continues to affect us. We can look at the things that our grandparents and our parents struggled with and we're like, yep, I got that too. And so we've got this, this brokenness that's already entered into that. And then we throw in some things like social media and the digital world. And, and those things, like, they start to mess with it. Uh, man, this weekend, and I didn't do this, but apparently it was a really cool thing this weekend on Facebook to post your first profile picture. And then to post the profile. I don't even know what it was. Right? We're supposed to talk about how, how you've changed over the years. If I were to do that, here's like here's the first thing that I think about. Here's what's changed for me. Life got a whole lot harder. Life got a whole lot harder. There were a lot of relationships that ended up being broken that I never thought were going to be broken. It was much harder to trust people. <laughs> like sin is always at war inside of our relationships, making it harder to relate to people as we get older, not easier. And these seeds, right, these things 
that are this sin that is breaking down how we relate to one another. It has some fruit that is bearing some fruit that we don't like to see. So let me give you an extreme example. All right, you got a picture of a 27-year-old guy here who married the holographic image right there to his left. Married her. There was a ceremony. It was online, of course. Thousands of people attended this wedding. And he is uh, married happily ever after. He cites the joy that this relationship brings him because uh, she's never angry with him. And on the rare occasion that she does get angry, she's quick to forgive. I kid you not. Like These are things that he is quoted as saying. So then, on top of all that, right, an author begins to study this guy's life. And you <laughs> this guy blows my mind. The author's conclusion is that he is not worried about this guy because he is able to express with words what he's doing. So it's the ones that can't express that they actually love these visual characters that we're worried about. Do what? <laughs> we're not worried about the guy who's married a digital figure? This is an extreme case, right? But how many of us can look at our lives and say, over the last year, over the last two years, over the last 10 years, the relationships that I have are farther apart. I don't know them as well. I'm struggling to continue to engage with real life people. It's easier to sit at home and think that I know them through what they post on social media. We live in a relationally challenged culture, and now what we're seeing, another fruit of that is that our culture is very divided. Because it's not as much that we think differently or we have strong opinions, it's that we don't know how to build relationships that allow us to communicate well with one another. You don't think that 40 years ago there were people on both sides of the political aisle that had strong ideas? I think there were, but we don't know how to relate to one another. So what does being relationally challenged have to do with being set apart, right? This idea that we're, we're talking about, being set apart for the gospel of God. Well, how are those two connected? We see as believers in Jesus Christ, we are set apart for a movement that is communal by nature. We aren't set apart from the church. We are set apart by being the church, being involved and engaged and unusually united, right? It's a term that I'm clinging to. Being unusually united with the church is what sets us apart. Being able to be relationally connected in community in a supernatural way because of the Holy Spirit is what sets us apart. It is how we are set apart. And the world is telling us that it's easier to just isolate ourselves and take care of ourselves. But the kingdom that you and I are made for is creating us with a desire to be knit together with this unusual unity. And so while we are called to look different than our sinful world, we aren't called to be set apart from community with one another. But instead, right, this is the grace of the gospel. Instead, Jesus bridges the gap between where you start in your faith relationship and being set apart for the gospel. He bridges that gap for you. You have to walk with him and in but how did he do this? How did Christ do this in our lives? Paul realizes in his introduction, right? He realizes that his readers might have wondered the same thing. He's like, Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle of God, set apart for the gospel of God. And, and then there's this hyphen, like, oh yeah, like, what does that even mean? And he stops. What's the gospel? 
And how are we set apart for it? So he says this in, in verse 2. The gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You see, the prophets, they were really some of the first communal leaders. Before Christ bridged the gap between sinful humans and God, prophets were God's messengers to his people. God would speak through them to the community of believers. He was communicating to them that they were starting from a place of sin and corruption. We just talked about it, right? Since Adam and Eve, no human had been born who was able to separate themselves from the effects of sin in their life. Now, these prophets were really godly men, but they weren't God himself. The people struggled to follow their leadership. They questioned them. They had doubts. But these prophets were pointing to a crucial message, which we read about in verse 3, that Jesus bridges the gap between God and his community of believers. These prophets were telling the message concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh. In other words, he was fully man and was appointed to be the powerful son of God. He was fully God. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. You see, this is the gospel to us. This is how Jesus bridges the gap, by being both man and God. He was both sinless and the sacrifice for sin. We can't even wrap our brains around that. He was both servant leader and Savior King. In him, all the fullness of God was meant to dwell. He was God in the flesh. You see, if you and I are created in the image of God, we are not meant to be either or people. We are not meant to be alone. We are both sinners in need of grace and humans created in the image of God. We are both highly personal and unique, and yet we are created for community. We are living in this world, and yet we are created to thrive in another one, one where Christ is the king. And all of this is possible because Christ's death and resurrection defeated our greatest enemy, which is death, and bridged the gap between God and those who believe in him. Now here's the thing. If we reject Christ, if we have heard of Christ but we've never accepted him, if we have maybe kept Christ at a distance, then we are left to an impossible task. We are left to navigate the tensions and the struggles of this world alone. Those things that we feel, those, those lies that we want to tell about ourselves, the image that we want to maintain, the difficulties and the suffering that we have to go through, we are left to those things alone. You see, our craving for community is insatiable, and yet it's never fulfilled. We desire for our life to matter, to be set apart from the crowd, and, and yet it can never be apart from Christ. But the good news is that he has bridged all of those gaps as well with his death and his resurrection. He ties together the tension. He gives purpose to the purposes. So I ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? And if not, do you want to? Knowing Christ is as easy as confessing your need for him and your belief in him to him. He is ready and waiting. Jesus, I am broken. And I believe that you are God. And I believe that you're the only one who can restore me from these broken relationships and this sinful life. If you do know him, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we live in that tension of, of the already here but not yet come kingdom of Christ? Paul continues in verse 5 and 6. 
says, through him, that is Christ, we have received this grace, right? We talked about this even with Kevin Murphy. We've received this grace in this apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you all, including you all, y'all, who are also called by Jesus Christ. He is calling you. We talked about that last week, right? He is calling us with his grace into a life of obedience. Paul is writing all of these directives in the context of community. You can't move from grace to obedience without a community of believers around you. It's an impossible task. He recognizes that and as he shares the truth about Jesus, that it mandates a response from a group of people, a y'all group of people that he is writing to. You see, Jesus sets us apart through community. John 1.14 gives great evidence. This is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. Says the word, which is a reference to Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. If we didn't meet each other, then why did Christ have to come? But he came, both as man and God, to be with the people that he was going to save. And we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We must dwell in the grace, and we must dwell together in that grace so that obedience would result. One of the most frustrating things for me as a parent is at Christmas time when you begin to think about what you want to get your children for Christmas and you go up to the toy room and you realize that there are these incredible toys that you are so excited to give to your, to your child that haven't moved since December 26th of the prior year. Right? Maybe it's just me, I don't know. But I'm like, man, that was such a waste. Man, like, I guess we just, we just blew it on that Christmas gift, right? You realize that the toys that you were so excited to surprise your kids with a year ago were never great in their eyes. Right? They were good for a day. They were good when you opened them. And where those toys started is where those toys stayed. You might say they were never set apart in toy history. You were not made to find Jesus and then be sat against the wall and never used again. You were made for a community of believers that need you to interact and to express your gifts. And that is what sets you apart as God's creation. Your role in his community, in his body, in the church. To not be in community is to abuse the grace that Jesus has given us. It's to abuse it. He's given us this grace so that we can be one with one another, so that we can realize the beauty that was created inside of us. And when we are absent from community, it's like silently telling Jesus that, that grace wasn't great in our eyes. It was good for a day. And you know what? We'd just rather do it our way. I'll make the best life that I can. You see, without community, where we start is where we stay. Thanks be to God that Jesus bridges the gap between where you start and being set apart. He bridges that gap, and he does it through community. You need gospel community. You were not created to function without it. 
And any attempt to function without it will be filled with stress and depression and fear. You need gospel community that has unusual unity. We use the word unusual because it's something that only the Holy Spirit working in and through us can bring about. So what does this unusual unity look like? How is it achieved, right? Paul is writing this letter, and he's let the Romans know, hey, you have been set apart for the gospel of God. Here's how it happened. The prophets told us about this guy who was coming. His name was Jesus. He bridged the gap from where he started to being set apart. And you are, you all, y'all are called into that community. What does that community look like? Verse 8. First, Paul says, I thank my God for Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness and my servant, my spirit, telling me good news about his son. I constantly mention you. See, a community of believers that has unusual unity is one that has a faith worth talking about. Has a faith worth talking about. One of the things that I love about Christ's community is that we tell stories. We tell stories about how God is moving and changing in our lives. And the ones that are always the most exciting for me are the ones I'll call somebody and ask them if they would consider sharing their story. And their first response is, well, there's not really anything about my story that's worth telling. I love it because it's almost inevitable. It's like God's waiting to use their story. He uses it to encourage others. And what's even more incredible, right? Like, we'll go a little geeky here for a minute. The people who say that, we record our stories, we, we share it in our, our weekly email, and we put it on our social media stuff. And it's almost like, almost to the T, the people that are like, my story is not worth sharing, their stories always get shared. Blows my mind. Because you see, when we are part of a community that has unusual unity, our faith is growing in ways that sometimes we can't even can't even put our words on. But people recognize it in us. It's a faith that's worth talking about. And people are excited to hear it and share it. So what does that look like in our lives? How do we do that? I would encourage you to think about two questions. One would be this, how is the gospel, and when I say the gospel, the gospel is, is and it's the truth about Jesus Christ, it's the story of his good news. How is that gospel good news to you? How did Jesus' story change yours? Can you answer that question? If you can, make sure that you know him. Right? But answer that question. How is, how is Jesus' story, how is the gospel good news to you? And once you process how you do that in your own life, then there's this really incredible thing that happens. Denise, I love your goal. Learn somebody's story every week. Because when we learn someone's story, it gives us this incredible privilege and honor to start figuring out how the gospel is good news in their story. Do you understand the power, the unusual unity that comes when you're able to sit with someone, hear their story, and say, you know how Jesus is good news for you? Jesus is good news for you because in that moment of darkness in your life, he was there. Jesus is good news to you because when you didn't think that you could do it, you realize that he could do it for you. Jesus is good news for you because when you were trying all of your ways to do it, he continued to break you down until you got to a point that you realized he was the only one who could do it for you. How is the gospel good news to you? And how is the gospel good news to the person 
you are talking to. Usual unity, that type of community as a faith worth talking about. And so here's an action point that I want each of us to challenge ourselves to take this week. Share with someone how Jesus is good news in their life. It's going to force you to listen to their story. It's going to force you to consider where Jesus inserts himself. It's going to force you to think about how the good news of Jesus Christ changes the story of the person you're sitting across from. Just share how Jesus is good news to their story. Paul continues in verse 10. I'm always asking you in my prayers that if it's somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I'm just going to take one little time out of that. I'm actually going to come back to this, but I want to remind us, Paul is a dude. He's a dude that wants to spend time with people, which is a little bit like crazy in our culture. Most dudes don't like to spend time with people. But it's something about this unusual unity of gospel community that we desire to be together. Like there's just this thing inside of me that says, I want to be back together with those people. Proverbs 18.24. Proverbs 18.24 says this. One with many friends may be harmed. But there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. This desire to be together. I must think about this, this wise saying in the book of Proverbs for just a minute. See, one of the biggest social media lies that, like, that it's got us to buy into is that you can know anyone you want to. That you can be related and connected to anyone that you want to. Maybe in some ways, but not true connection. Right? And it's carried over into how we live out our lives. We tell everyone that we run into that we should hang out sometime soon, and then we never do it. We try to know as many people as we can, but we don't know many people deeply. What if? What if our desire to know everyone keeps us from knowing anyone? That's a scary thing. Our desire to be networked, influential, whatever, our desire to know everyone keeps us from knowing anyone. You see, this gospel community that Paul was talking about, they had a desire to be together, and that desire was birthed in the Spirit because they knew each other well. It wasn't this flimsy, I can tell you all the things from your profile bio. They knew one another, and it created within them a desire to be together. So here's what I want to challenge us to do on this one, as a community of believers here at Christ Community. I want us to pick one person. Pick one person today that you want to bring a word of encouragement back to. I mean, watch how it changes your walk in your relationship. You think about the room, you think about one person. Next Sunday, I'm going to come back and I want to share with them something from God's Word. Like, I'm going to read my Word this week, seeking God. God, would you, would you just give me a verse that I can share with this person to be encouraging to them? Because I want to get to know them better. I want, I want to figure out how I can encourage them. And then I want you to come share with them next Sunday. And I want you to watch how it changes the way that you think about being related to others. I want you to watch how on Thursday you're getting excited about being back together with one another in church because you know that the Lord has given you a verse that he needs that person to hear. 
unusual unity and gospel community has this strong desire to be together. Third, last one. Mutually encouraging. Verses 11 and 12. Paul says, For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you, and this is you all, right? To you all some spiritual gift to strengthen y'all. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. We talk all the time about going outside. What, like, what is it to be mutually encouraged? We talk all the time about going outside. And for many of us, we, we end up thinking, I've got to go outside of my circle. I've got to meet someone else. I've got to, got to do something that's uncomfortable out there. I've got to solve a problem that's outside of me. But there are a lot of times where going outside is, is literally about going outside of yourself. It's about opening yourself up so that your faith can encourage someone else and that can be returned. It's about being willing to open up yourself, to go outside, to let what's really happening inside of you be real in that community of believers. We read an article this week as a staff that was really challenging. The, the point that was most challenging was that as, as leaders in the church, we have to make it uncomfortable to stay disengaged. You see, this, this responsibility to be mutually encouraged in our community, it's not just about me being self-disciplined enough to always do the right things. We have a responsibility to one another to not allow one another to be comfortable in being disengaged. We have to make it uncomfortable for one another to stay disengaged, and that's how we encourage one another. So what do we do? What's our action plan? I want you to be a friend that knows your friend's faith. Who's that one person that I don't just know them, like I don't know their stats or their, like whatever, like I know their faith. I know what they're wrestling with in the Lord right now. Have that one person. Gospel community with unusual unity. It has a faith worth talking about. There's this crazy desire to be together. And it's mutually encouraging. Before we finish up, I want to walk through a few things that I believe Satan is using to destroy unusual unity in our midst. First is leeches. That's an awesome picture, isn't it? There was some bloodier ones, but I thought I thought <laughs> Scripture speaks extensively about friendship. Like, it's all over the place. Here's what's crazy. It's almost always about being a good friend as opposed to having good friends. Everybody knows a leech, right? That person that is only concerned with having good friends. They're not ever concerned with being a good friend. When you've lost sight of who and how you can be a friend, you've likely become a leech to someone else. That's all I'm going to say on that. But I will say one more thing. Doctors still use leeches to pull bad blood out so the good blood can take its place. And so know that the Lord may want to do that with you too. He may call you to a season of ministering to a leech because it's pulling bad blood out of you and replacing it with new life. Leeches. Something else that destroys this unusual unity that we crave here at Christ Community gossips. People that in a triangle of relationships talk about the person who's not in the room. 
It breeds mistrust. Even if it's well-intentioned, you're just not sure if you can trust anymore. Your first thought becomes doubt. Leeches, gossips, you ready for this one? Being male. Being male often destroys the unusual unity that we can have in community. David Smith wrote a book called The Friendless American Male. I'm just going to read a paragraph from it. It's on the screen. And guys, we need to do something about this. But right now, I'm bringing out a problem, not a solution. All right? It says, most men have buddies, not deep friendships. They spend time with one another, but they do not share themselves. They talk about problems outside themselves, but they do not open themselves up. American males do not share themselves with others because they have been trained to be competitive, not to be friends. They compete with one another from Little League to the adult world of business. Men tend to rate one another by the degree of success. However, friends demand vulnerability, sharing, and openness. The very opposite of competition. There's a challenge, guys. Who's going to be the first to figure it out? Liar there, it's a joke. You're either right, it's okay. The last one, sad but true. The thing that destroys unusual unity is past of abuse or trauma. Research has shown that when this is part of our past story, it has adverse effects on our sense of being loved and accepted by God, our sense of community with others, and our ability to trust in God's plan for the future. So if that's part of your story, I want you to know that I empathize with Abuse and trauma are part of our past. It is incredibly difficult to overcome the things of this world that want to break down the gospel community with unusual unity that the Spirit wants to birth inside of us. But know, know that you were created for it. And then even in that, you don't have to figure out how to step into community alone. But that Christ is with you, bridging the gap from where you start to where you start. We do this through these weird things called communities. Here's the point. I want to talk about our community groups for just a minute, and then we'll be done. Community groups are not a program that we just plug you into, right? Like, it can't just be a sign-up list. Community groups are the lifeblood of being set apart for Christ that you must choose to engage with. I read a story this week about a lady who um, she went seven days without dialysis because she was stuck in a flood down in Texas. Okay? When that happened, she gained 30 pounds of water on her body. She was incredibly swollen. She said, the only thing I could do was sleep. Someone rescued her, got her from the ER, and her life was saved. Seven days, 30 pounds of water. When we aren't connecting... In intimate faith relationships through things like community group, we are taking on water fast. Right? We, like, we need each other to be pulling all those things through us and helping to filter what's good and what's bad in our lives so that we're not just taking on water and finding ourselves asleep in our faith with the Lord. So with our community groups, right? Let's try to tell you what they are, what they are. We serve as leaders by providing notes from our sermons and questions from our from our text for that week. 
We pray for them. We walk with them through the hard things and the relational challenges that they're going to meet. And really, we're just hoping to connect people with people. But let me tell you what we can't do, what, what they aren't. We can't manufacture community. We can't come up with this perfect guide that works for every group of people. We can't make you stick to a community group. We can't just figure out the perfect secret sauce for what's going to make your group work. Because you see, community groups work when Christ is the center and every person in the circle is committed to being set apart for Christ. That's what they want in their lives, to be set apart for him and in the lives of those in their group. Let me take this. Biblical, Christian, gospel-centered community with unusual unity is never going to happen by accident. It's never going to happen without intentionality. Because we will always... Back to the beginning of the sermon. And we will always move towards attraction and not true connection. So, today, you're like, yeah, I need to figure out how to step into community. It's going to look different for every one of you. There's not a sign-up list. <laughs> right. But here's what I want you to do. Get out your phone and text the word at G2 next step to 81010. And we want to walk with you the best that we can to help you find a community of believers that help you do those things. Add to next step to 810. See, when we encourage one another, we want to be together. And when we want to be together, we can't help but talk about our faith community. And when we talk about our faith community, that's when people meet Jesus. This is an incredible thing. That by working have a relationship with Christ and with one another. He draws people to the good news of who he is and how he changes their life. We become a community that looks out instead of a community that's turned in. You see, healthy community is what allows us to keep going outside. The band's going to come back. And we all, y'all, myself included, we have to respond to the grace that, that Christ has given to us. Maybe earlier as I talked about who Christ is and how he sets us apart, maybe you found yourself wanting to tell Jesus in that moment that you believe he is God and you want him as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you already did it and we need to celebrate with you. If that's you, I'm going to be in the room up in the front as you pass on your way in here. I'm going to be up in there. There's some things that we can work through, there's a way I can just pray with you. I just want to meet you there if that's a decision that you need to make. Maybe you've never said yes to a Jesus that calls you into community. You said yes to the Jesus that saved you from hell, but you never said yes to the Jesus that called you into community. And if that's you today, you need to repent. You need to turn from that belief about Jesus and recognize that he's calling you into something way greater than just being saved from hell. We'll also respond in ways that we always do. Your sacrificial giving. You can do that by giving in the cans in the back. You can do that online, lovesheadwell.com slash give. And we're gonna we're gonna respond through communion. The Lord's Supper. If you're a baptized believer, we invite you to come up and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. Those represent Christ's body and his blood. And we remember when we do this what Christ has done. He has died on the cross. He's died on a cross to save you, 
but to also call you into an incredible community called the church. It's become the bridge between where you start and getting set apart. And if today you've been abusing that call into community, I want you to think twice. I want you to take a moment before you just come up and take that communion. Recognizing that, man, to not be in community with the, the church is to abuse the gift of grace that Christ has given us. It's to leave the gift on the wall. He's very serious about that point. <laughs> Let's remember what Christ has done. Let's respond to the good news of the gospel, the grace that he's given to us in community and with obedience. That's my prayer.